So there is something undeniably joyful about this time of year, right? Right? There's something undeniably joyful about this time of year. I mean, who can't get enough football this time of year? Can I get an amen from anybody in the house this morning? Um, I normally feel that way about my favorite sport, but, uh, you know, even though we live in a world where there's a lot wrong uh, in the sports world in 2018, um, there is something about sport, something about especially high school athletics uh, that can bring a community together, uh, that can unite people, can give us a common reason to celebrate. Uh, and it's fun to be a part of this community right now with our team advancing to the state finals next week or this coming Thursday. Uh, there's just some, some excitement about that, and it's fun to kind of ride that wave and be a part of it. I've enjoyed uh, the journey being and watching the games, and, and there's just something joyful about this time of year. It's, it's, it's a joyful time of year. Christmas is a good reason to be joyful as well, of course. The joy of giving people gifts is something that I know many of you share. The joy of picking out the perfect gift for someone and, and knowing that they will enjoy it, especially if you have kids or close friends or parents or whomever, close relationships, uh, whether you shop online or in person, uh, just going through that process of knowing that you found the thing, like if you ever had that gift that you bought, the thing that will bring joy into someone else's life that you care about. The joy of little kids is contagious in this time of year. Uh, we drive around the car with Cannon in particular. He's getting to that age. Uh, he's two and a half. He's, he's, he's first for the first time probably uh, seeing Christmas is, this, Christmas is this big, fun, joyful thing, this awesome experience. And I know every time we will drive by, we're, even if it's just a normal house with lights and like nothing too extravagant, uh, we'll hear a ooh in the background of him just enjoying this season. It is a contagious joy that kids have during this time of year. And really what makes Christmas joy unique is that it is a joy of expectation, right? Especially as a child, if you can remember that feeling of expectation that you had of counting down the days until Christmas, thinking about the things that your parents were going to get for you, of, 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 of walking through that and, and maybe thinking about the, the opportunity that you would get to, to share with others what you had gotten for them, the joy of the expectation of the waiting that comes with that. And, and we think that with our, our modern Christian narrative that we've kind of created that expectation for the first time, but there's a much more ancient version of that story, the first version of that story, that has a lot of expectation built into it of expecting the coming of the Savior, expecting the fulfillment of all the joy that Israel had ever hoped for to come in the person of the Messiah, the Christ, the one that God would send to send all things, to make all things right. And so it is this joy that the people of God expect, a joy that is fulfilled in part by the coming of Jesus and will be realized in whole by the second coming of Jesus when he comes and sets, again, all things right. And so what makes this kind of joy, this time of year, and the joy that comes with it unique is that it is a joy of expectation, or in other words, an Advent joy, one that is coming, one that has come in the first time that Jesus appeared on this planet, and one that will come in fulfillment and perfection when he comes again to restore all things to the way that they were meant to be. 
And so this morning, as we enter into the third Sunday of Advent, and as we continue to look forward to the birth of Christ, to the second coming of Christ, what the, the one message I want to give you this morning, very simple, is to expect joy. Expect it. Well, we see this in Scripture. It's not something that we get our hopes up for. It is something that is a known reality for those who write about what is going to happen. They don't write about prophetically about the future, thinking, you know, you don't see in the margins of Isaiah, I hope that this happens. Um, I really wish that this would come to be. No, this is a, a firm belief that they have. They expect God to come through on these words and to fulfill this prophecy of joy, one of which we're about to read in Isaiah 35 this morning. Before we open up the scripture, let's pray one more time together. Father, we thank you for your word, and God, we thank you for using your prophet Isaiah to speak about things that were millennia away. God, we thank you for the way that through your son Jesus, you have already fulfilled much of the prophecy in the Old Testament, and God, we thank you for the way that we can believe wholeheartedly, knowing that one day you will fulfill every last jot and tittle of prophecy. God, that you will bring all things to their completion. You will set all things right, bring justice in its fulfillment. God, we rejoice in knowing that. And so, God, I pray that the joy that comes with that confidence, God, that you would bring that joy to us this morning through your Holy Spirit. God, that you would remove stress, distraction from us, from our hearts and from our minds, so that we may hear the truth in your word. God, so that it might sink down into the core of who we are. And God, so that through your Holy Spirit, you might bring transformation in our lives. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 35, verses uh, 1 through 10, which is the whole chapter. We're going to read that together this morning. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes, and a highway shall be there. And it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Beautiful poem of prophecy by that prophet Isaiah as God speaks through him to the people of God in Isaiah's day and on to us even this morning. This is what God promises 
through Isaiah will happen after his judgment that he talks so much in the book of Isaiah. After that is carried out, that will be a one day in the future where all things are set back to the way they were supposed to be in the first place. This, just like Ezekiel's passage that we read last week, is prophecy that is fulfilled in part by the first coming of Jesus and by the time when the, 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 the Israelites enter back into the promised land after their captivity. But ultimately, this prophecy will be fulfilled when Jesus comes back in perfection. If you read through this, this, this prophecy, this poem that Isaiah has given us, see in verses 1 and 2, and again in verses 6 and 7, uh, you see a description of a land that is restored, a land that is renewed. If you picture a blossoming desert, I, I know those, those two words seem like oxymorons because they are, picture a blossoming desert, uh, a place that is most of the time, almost the entire year, absent of life, but have you ever been in one of those like really, really, really arid regions? You know that there's a time that rains come through and they bring the desert blooms, right? They bring the beauty, that wild beauty, the wild flowers that come. And, and any sort of plant life that's a, a able to somehow survive those long reaches of dry weather suddenly comes to life when rain comes upon it. Picture that in your mind. <clears throat> Picture the beauty of it. I know a little bit, a taste of what that looks like growing up in West Texas and spending a lot of time of my life in arid regions and seeing how one rain, one rain can change the shape of a landscape, can certainly change the beauty of a landscape, going from looking absolutely atrocious to with just a little bit of rain and just a few wildflowers coming up out of the ground, looking as if something that we're going to see in glory someday. It is a beauty that comes out of nothingness, out of a bleak landscape. A desert will become like the most beautiful places that Isaiah could think of, like Carmel, like Sharon. It will, it will look like, like if we were to list the most beautiful places on earth, some that you might think of. You might think of a, a, hill, a countryside in France, or you might think of, of an island paradise in Hawaii, or you might think of, of, of some like majestic mountaintop in Colorado. Uh, you might think of all of these different places that we would describe as beautiful. This is essentially what Isaiah is doing when he talks about the beauty of the Lord. This desert is going to look like the most beautiful places that you could think of. Waters will break forth and streams will flow where there used to be nothing. Pools will form where burning sand once was and once dominated. The den of jackals will become fruitful grassland. It is a beauty that is unspeakable, but Isaiah does his best to speak of it. By the way, does anybody else know what a crocus is? Has anybody ever heard of that word before? When I read that, the first, nobody, okay, surely somebody, am I even saying it correctly? I might be pronouncing it incorrectly, and that's why you've never heard of it. Crocus? Crocus. I was saying it incorrectly. I apologize. I led you astray this morning. It is a crocus. It's a genus, right, of wildflower, basically. Um, so in case you're wondering what in the world that is, that's what a, a crocus is. I didn't know. Uh, maybe some of, some of the others of you did, and you just didn't want to brag on your knowledge. But that is a, a, a beautiful image to see God bring restoration in the midst of bleakness, in the midst of absence of life, he brings the fullness of life, and this is what Christ is going to do in our lives. And so this morning, as we talk about expecting joy, I want you to expect restoration, to expect it. 
to all the things that have been taken from us in this world, not to hope that they will one day be returned, but to know that they will one day be returned. To know that we have access to the abundant life in Jesus today, that he has begun to give us back the, the, what the world, what sin, what the fallen world has taken from us. And one day he will give it, give it back to us in whole, in him, when we, we, when we meet him in glory and we begin that eternal rest. We expect this restoration in Jesus because Christ has come and he is coming again. Starting in the last half of verse 2 and on through verse 6, Isaiah begins prophesying about God, what God is going to do with God's people. The people in the last part of verse 2, they will see the work that God is doing, God's restoration. And then there is this wonderful list of things that God is going to remedy. Those who have weak hands, they're going to be made strong. Have you ever been weak-handed? Maybe some of you have, where arthritis hurts the joints in your fingers, can't do what you, you don't have the dexterity that you used to, uh, or maybe you like to get down on the ground and, and work with your hands, and it's just not what it was 20, 30 years ago. Uh, or maybe you suffered from an injury at some point in your life, and you know, and you, you lost the ability that you once had, how, how bleak, how hopeless of a feeling that might be, but what the Lord prophesies through Isaiah is that God is going to take those weak hands and he's going to heal them and he's going to make them strong, not just back to what they used to be, but even better, the weak hands will become strong, the feeble knees will become firm, whether through age or difficulty or just being surprised in the moment, all of us have probably experienced what it's like to be weak need. If you've had too long of a day or if something is like you're, you're standing in front of a, a, a minister and you're about to get married or some other big, huge life event is about to happen, you might get a little weak need, a little, a little fearful, a little anxious about the coming day. No, what God is going to do in the fullness of Jesus coming back for us is that those feeble knees are going to be firm. Our foundation is going to be solid. There's not going to be any wavering or shaking. There's going to be no reason to fear. Instead, we are going to have a firm foothold, a firm foundation in who Jesus is. And he moves into that, talking about those who have an anxious heart, a fearful heart, that God will bring confidence, that we can trust Tell the one who is anxious at heart to be strong and fear not that God is going to come back to bring justice. God is going to come back to bring vengeance. He is speaking to a group of people who were definitely afraid about an outside force, not just moving them into captivity, but completely like destroying them from the face of the earth so that there would never be any mention of God or his people anymore. But God is telling them, be faithful, be strong, fear not. There is coming a day when all those who are against me and against you, I will wipe out, I will push back, I will bring justice. There is no need to worry about the enemy because when the day comes, there will be no enemy. The anxious and the fearful should be confident in the Lord. The blind will have their eyes opened. Now we're getting into some really good stuff. The blind will have their eyes open. Those who could not see will suddenly begin to see. Those who did not know what it was like to look on joy, to look on hope, to look on the peace of the Lord and the presence of the Lord suddenly will be given that sight when Jesus comes back in his fullness. The deaf will have their ears unstopped. 
There will no longer be any, no, what did God say? God, I can't, I can't hear you because of all the, the chaos of the world going on around me. No, in that day we will hear perfectly the voice of the Lord. The lame will dance like deer. Even the Baptist lame will dance like deer. It's going to happen. We will jump for joy. We'll rejoice all the youth in our body. You remember like when you could, that's one thing about watching young athletes is just remembering youth and the ability to bounce back and all of those things that myself at 35 looking back, like I'm beginning to see the deterioration of the body and everything that comes with that. And and oh, how joyful it would have to have a body that could heal in one weekend after going through an extreme physical test. Oh, the joy that it would be to have that youthful energy that's not anything compared to the kind of strength and energy you're going to have when Jesus comes back to make us whole when Jesus comes back to restore what's been taken from us we will dance like a deer Uh, think of the most agile creature that you could imagine a deer probably pops to mind at least it does in mine and so Isaiah takes the most agile creature you can think of and you see he says That's going to be us. Like there's going to be nothing that can stop us leaping and dancing for joy in the presence of our Lord. And while we're speaking about joy, he says to the mute, their tongue will begin to sing for joy. As a pastor, as a preacher, there are few physical maladies that scare me more than the stories of people who completely lose their voice. Um, because uh, this is going to sound boastful, and I'm going to go ahead and say it. Uh, because this is my moneymaker, right? Like this is what I do for a living as is I, is I, I share God's word vocally, I teach. The thing of that being taken away hmm, makes me anxious. Makes me wonder what good would I be if I couldn't speak God's truth. Now, there's a whole other conversation there. We're much more than just that. But imagine that hopelessness, having so much to share and to not be able to get it out, to not be able to speak about what you have seen and heard, to not be able to share the the good news, to not be able to share the bad news so that someone else could bear it with you. The day is coming, God says, when, when those who couldn't articulate what was in their mind for whatever reason will sing for joy. A voice that wasn't there will be given and we will use it to lift our voices to God and sing to him forever and ever and ever. So expect joy, expect restoration and expect healing. Expect a complete healing. Look, there's so much in this story that we take for granted. Let me change that. I want to make it personally. I I can't get in your head. There's so much in this story that I take for granted about what God has done and what he is going to do. The fact that we can say with a straight face that God has come down to earth in a baby and a child, the fact that we can talk about that as if it's nothing shows that, that we've lost the expectation and the joy that are connected with the Christmas story. And it's become just another story in the tradition of American storytelling. That it's another part of our mythology as a people rather than the truth of God that can shape 
the foundations of the world that can change the course of human history and reach beyond the course of human history into eternity where you and I will lift our voices in praise to God forever and ever and ever. Do you expect this or is it just something that you kind of hope will happen? Let me ask that again this morning. Is this an expectation? Do you expect to be healed? Do you expect for all of those maladies in your body and in your spirit and in your heart, the character flaws within your personhood, do you expect those to be healed when you enter into the presence of Jesus? Do you expect that to happen? Do you expect a heart that's been broken by failed relationships or people that let you down, do you expect that to be healed by the coming of Jesus both today and in eternity? It's not something that we should mildly hope would happen, happen, but something we should expect and rejoice over. This coming reality, this coming truth that we can take to the bank, that we can believe wholeheartedly and we can rejoice over now because we know that it's going to happen. And so even while we're in the desert, even while our bodies are broken, even while our spirits are tarnished, even while our soul is still committing sinful acts against God and against ourselves, even in the midst of all of this going on around us, we can know that joy is coming. And because joy is coming, joy can live here today too. We can rejoice over who God will be and who he is today. Expect joy, expect restoration, expect healing. And then in verses eight through 10, Isaiah begins to look even further down the road. And here especially we see an end time prophecy of what God is going to do someday, this highway that is leading somewhere, this highway that he calls holiness, which is a highway that we can walk only through Jesus, we know from the, Old, from the New Testament. A highway that a bunch of imperfect folks are going to be walking down. I love that Isaiah, throw, or God through Isaiah, throws that in there, that even the fools will be able to walk this way. Even the imperfect sinners will be able to tread down the way. The way is one of the ways that in the New Testament people refer to the church, the disciples of Jesus was followers of the way. So even here in Isaiah, we see Isaiah speaking about the way, this highway leading somewhere through the desert, a desert that was once absent of life is currently in bloom, but even that is going somewhere. Like even beyond his sight, his ability to explain beyond all the wonderful metaphors that he's saying, there is a highway going somewhere. And along this highway, there's not going to be any lions or any ravenous beasts. There's not going to be any enemies. There's not going to be anyone who can tear us down It is going somewhere where there is no enemy. It is going somewhere where there is no antagonist. And as Isaiah writes, everlasting joy will be upon their heads. Everlasting joy will be upon their heads. You know, even for, yeah, even for some of the most joyful people I know, joy is not an everlasting expression right now, if you know what I'm saying. Even for some of the most joyful people I know, the normal expression is just one of, neither good nor bad. I was going to say monotony, but that kind of has a bad connotation, so not even that. Just kind of normal day-to-day, getting through, going by, living, not happy, not sad, just managing. 
That, that's kind of the, like the base version of humanity right now. Now, there's a lot of people in the world that live underneath that, that live in a fairly serious and, and rather constant state of, of depression or just malaise of, of just going through the motions and nothing seeming to bring any energy or excitement. There are some, and we love to be around these, that they go above quite often and seem joyful, and their joy is, is contagious, and they, they cause joy by having joy wherever they go. That's hopefully what we as the church should be. But even those folks, they get sad. Even those folks get bored. And sometimes the ones who can get the highest are also the ones who can get the lowest. So not only do the, do the really joyful people experience great joy, sometimes they experience really low depression. That's kind of our world today, isn't it? It's almost as if joy is the exception to the rule in our world today. It happens, but most of the time, some other feeling is dominating our world. Flip that upside down to where joy isn't the exception, that it's the norm. That instead of living here and maybe getting up to joy a couple of times a day where we laugh or our hearts are lifted by a song or a word from the Lord. It's like we're here all the time. And then, you know, even this metaphor begins to fall apart because joy, it won't be the exception then. It'll, it'll be the norm, but it'll be the only thing there is. There won't be any sudden blips down. There won't be any boredom. There won't be any times where you're just kind of going through the motions. No, let everlasting joy be upon their heads. I know you can't picture it yet. I know we don't have the capacity yet to understand what it, what it will mean to live in everlasting joy. We can't get our minds fully around that because it's something that none of us have experienced in its fullness. But you can get a taste. You've tasted joy. You've watched, uh, those of you, you know, you, 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 you've, think of the most joyful things in your life. Standing across from a spouse and and. and, and pledging your life to them and them doing the same back, of welcoming a new child in the world, of, of leading a child to Christ, of, of being part of, of, a, of a team or, or a group of people or a church that God was doing something amazing in, of God using you to help someone else find healing, either from lostness or from something else going on in the world. The, the most joyful experiences that you've ever had that in that moment, like if you could just multiply that times infinity, oh, what a, what a wonderful thought, right? What a wonderful thought of joy that, that never goes away, especially in a world where it seems like sadness never goes away, where it seems like even in the most joyful times, we're reminded that we live in a fallen world, sorrow and sighing, as Isaiah says, there will be no more of that. It will be gone altogether. It will be completely eradicated. It will be completely dealt away with. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sighing and sorrow, sadness and disconnection, frustration and sinfulness, angst, anger, wrath, boredom. All of those things will be dealt away. They will be kicked to the curb, thrown into the lake of fire from which they never shall return. And instead, you and I sitting, uh, standing, kneeling on our faces, whatever it's going to look like, before the throne of the Most High God, will never experience any of those feelings again, but rather will be in an everlasting state of joy. Yes, as Isaiah says, God, come, come quickly. Let everlasting joy be upon us. 
bow our heads. Oh, I look forward to that day, church. Do you? Not as if it's some minor hope that I have where I'm crossing my fingers, where I'm I'm making sure that I, I wear all my good luck charms and I do everything right so that I earn that someday. No, I believe that because God in his fullness descended into the flesh and was born as a child and raised as a savior who got on the cross for my sake and then beat sin and beat death, beat it back to the point where one day it will be completely consumed. I know that it's going to happen. I believe that that joy is around the corner, and because of that, I can face any sorrow today. I can face any sighing today, not that those feelings are not real and not that they are not low, but I can face them because I know that joy is around the corner. I know that joy is coming, and I will expect everlasting joy, a joy that will not end, will not go up and down, but will be at a constant 10. So what do you expect Every morning when you wake up. What did you expect this morning? When you entered into the sanctuary. When you opened your hymnal. Opened your word. What did you expect? Joy? Monotony? Hoping to get through the day to check off the items on the list? That's okay. I'm not here to throw you under the bus. We've all been there. But if not joy, why not? Why is this not something we expect? That we hope for in that sense. See, church, the source of joy lives inside you. It is not affected by your circumstances. This is one of the reasons why some of the most joyful, not happy, happy and joy aren't synonyms in my dictionary or thesaurus, I guess. Some of the most joyful times, absent of happiness, but some of the most joyful times in my life have been surrounding a death, a funeral, because of a family member. And I know that sounds like weird in a way. It would sound weird to the world, like how, what's wrong with you, that you would be happy in them. I'm not happy. I'm sad. My, my, my spirit is downcast. But my heart is lifted when I think about those who have passed and the joy that is not around the corner for them, but a sight. I'm glad that the mute have a voice to sing, the blind have a sight to see, the deaf have a song to hear, the lame dance to that music and leap. For joy, the anxious at heart are calm and confident. I've known people that have passed that dwelled in that. My grandfather couldn't sing a note. He always sang joyfully in the church. It's one I've told you that before. It's one of the things I respected about him. But oh, he was so off key. And I'm looking forward to that day when I will stand beside him. And we, I'm off key a lot too. We will sing in perfect harmony. Forever and ever and ever. I expect that to happen. And because I expect that joy, I can have that joy today. Jesus has come. Jesus is coming again. He will do a work of restoration. He has begun it when he came the first time. He will complete it when he comes the last time. He has begun a work of healing when he came the first time. He will complete it. 
when he comes the last time. He has brought us an invincible, everlasting joy. He introduced it to us the first time. He will complete it and seal us in it the last time. So expect restoration. Expect healing. Expect everlasting joy. May we as believers of the joy of the world, may we wake up every morning expecting joy. Because that joy, thanks to Jesus coming for us, dying for us, and sending his spirit to us, that joy lives within us. And may we never forget that. Expect joy, church, in a downtrodden, desert place of a world. May we be the bloom. May we be the crocus. May we be the beauty. May we be the joy so that the world can begin to expect joy when we begin to expect joy. May we expect joy. This morning during our time of invitation, I encourage you, anybody that might be in here that does not have a relationship with the Lord that has never met Jesus as Savior, I would love to tell you what that looks like. I would love to tell you the joy that he has brought to my life and that he could bring to yours. I'll be standing down here during the time of invitation. If you would like to talk with me, Daniel will be in the back at the Welcome Center if you'd like to talk with him back there. And I'll stick around after the service too, if anyone would like to talk. And for those of you who do have a saving relationship with Jesus, what did you expect this morning? It's not joy. Ask the Lord to restore to you the joy of your salvation. Ask the Lord to remind you that what we hope for is not some mere crossing of fingers, but a knowledge that is deeper than our English word hope. May we know and expect joy. May you ask God to help you with that during our time of invitation. Again, if you need to pray about this or anything else, I'm down here at the front. Daniel's at the back. The altar is open, and you can always pray right where you're at. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray. Bill and Lynn are going to lead us in a song of invitation. And then you move during that time in whatever way that God is telling you to. Let's pray. Father, once again, we thank you for who you are and for what you have done. God, in a world that is often joyless, We thank you for filling us with joy. And God, I pray as we close our time together this morning, God, that you would make us a joyful people. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. Fill us with the joy of the Lord. And Lord, make our joy contagious. In Jesus' name, amen.